Let's take our seats, if you will, please. And I'm going to invite Sheila to come and uh, bring us our first reading this morning from Hebrews. If you do it from there, Sheila, that's great. The reading, well, Sheila will tell you where the reading's from. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Christ, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through this flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who, is, who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not, not neglecting to meet together as, the habit, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sheila. The second reading is from uh, Mark chapter 13, if you want to follow along with me, the first eight verses. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, look, teacher, what massive stones, what a magnificent building. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings 
of birth pains. This is the word of the Lord. When I was young, I honestly thought that Remembrance Day might fade away. Maybe 40 years ago, I honestly thought that we would go past this. But the 40 years since have suggested that it's more important than ever, sadly. What have we learned? We've learned that there isn't a war to end all wars. That a war on terror doesn't stop terror. That when nations fear other nations and engage in military action, that it's the innocent that pay the highest price. What have we learned? We've learned that the cycle continues in every generation. The two readings that we've shared with you are from the Church of England's cycle of readings. The one from Mark is the story of the moment when the disciples are sitting with Jesus and they're looking at this massive, beautiful, wonderful, strong, permanent temple. And it's almost like, you know, they're almost like day trippers. They're sort of nudging each other and say to Jesus, Jesus, have you seen this building? Wow, this is some building, eh? This is some building. Isn't it wonderful? It looks so solid. And of course, for the Jews, it was like the sign that everything will be okay. That God won't let us down because the temple's here, because the place where we meet God is here. It'll be okay. And Jesus says to them, This magnificent building, every stone will come down. It'll just be rubble. And the disciples asked the obvious question. Well, when's that going to happen? When will it just become rubble? Well, Jesus speaks it in around, roughly, 28 AD. There's a massive war that the Jews were involved with in 66 AD and the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. Within 30 years. Jesus doesn't actually give them a timetable as such. He doesn't tell them the year. What he does, though, he says the signs around you and most importantly, what he says to them is, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be alarmed. Specifically, in the passage we've just read, he says, I don't want you to be alarmed when you hear about wars. That's not the end. Just a sign. I don't want you to be alarmed when you hear of earthquakes or climatic conditions. It's just a birth pang. Something is coming. But don't be alarmed. Jesus, let's just get it really clear. Jesus says to his disciples, 
everything you think is absolutely permanent will come crashing to the ground. Don't put your hope in that. I wonder if it's possible for us to be people who don't fear. I wonder how many of you have got to the stage where it's almost like you work out at 10 o'clock. Do I want to watch the news before I go to bed or not? No. How many of you watch the news at 6 o'clock almost just to let it wash over because you kind of go, if I take too much in, I can't bear the weight of all that's happening. And so it washes over us because actually to, to really take notice of it would be too much. So sadly, sometimes we watch the news in order to get to the weather. Is it going to rain tomorrow? <laughs> you, you'd make a really good Pentecostal. <laughs> I've got to tell you, if it don't work out here at St. James, join us. You'd be great. You're fantastic. A, you're almost on the first row. Secondly, you're, you're joining in. I love it. Is it possible to be a people who don't fear when you're not sure that your national leaders are in control? Is it possible to be a people who don't fear when the very things that you hope are stable are no longer stable? Is it possible to be a people who go, we are not afraid? On a really personal level, is it possible when some of those big building blocks in your personal life start to come apart, is it possible to be a people who go, we're not afraid? We're not painting on a smile. We're not pretending. We are saying it's everything shaken. It's not what it ought to be. But is it possible not to be afraid? Is it possible to be a people of hope? Seamus Heaney was uh, an Irish poet who said this about hope. Hope is not optimism. It's different. Hope is not optimism, which expects things to turn out well, but it's something rooted in the conviction that there's a good that's worth working for. It brings, in other words, hope isn't saying, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Hope for Christians is saying there's deep meaning here. We do not need to fear. There's something work, worth working for. How can we say that? Well, it takes us to the reading that Sheila read for us from Hebrews 10. And as part of that reading, she read this. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. What does Jesus do? He for all time made a single sacrifice so that you and I can come to a father and go, I'm clean before you, not because I've scrubbed up well, but because Christ's forgiveness covers my sin. In a moment or two, when we take communion together, 
What are we doing? We're reenacting a meal at which Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, and it's for you. Take it. Because I have made the difference between you. One sacrifice for all time. But then the writer of the Hebrews says something really interesting. He says, well, what's Jesus doing? He's waiting. He's waiting until all the enemies of everything that is good, everything that is godly. He's waiting until the enemies who stir up conflict. He's waiting until those who have a vested interest in seeing nations conflict with each other. He's waiting until those enemies become nothing more than a stool on which he'll put his feet. What the writer to the Hebrews said, and of course what he, this writer was writing to a people who were tempted to give up Christianity. They were tempted not to bother anymore. And the writer says, there's still forgiveness. There is still one in control. And there is a timetable. And it's God's. So how do we help one another? None of us got invited to COP26, eh? I bet, I bet at least half of us had really good ideas about what they should do next. But none of us were rung up. Not even last night when they were struggling. Even the people there weren't asked. <laughs> How many of you shout at the telly because you've got the solutions? They don't ask you, do they? So what do we do? The writer to the Hebrews finished like this. What we do is we hold fast to the confession of our hope. Number one. We, together as the people of God, say, this world is held. This world is held. And it's held by one who knows from the beginning to the end. We are a people of hope. We hold to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he whose promised is faithful. And secondly, we consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. I love that. You know how you can provoke people for the opposite? You know when you can wind them up? And what the writer of the Hebrews says is, will you wind one another up so they do really good things? Provoke one another. Keep cheering one another up. Tell one another, keep going. Do good. There's more than you think. The third thing, don't neglect to meet together. One of the things that despair does is it makes you feel you're on your own. And so you stay on your own. And you build a barricade, and then you realize it's become a prison. I need you in the good days. And I need you in the bad days. Meet together. And lastly, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching.
I want us as churches together to be able to encourage one another. Some of you from St. James will be coming this morning and going, that music's too loud. Please don't find the 30 people in our church who goes, the music's too loud. Some of you from Elam are going, I'm not sure about that procession bit. Neil looked very awkward. Looked like he didn't really know where he was going. There may be things that we differ over. Our duty to one another is to encourage one another. Our duty as churches is to say, listen folks, keep going. Our duty is to say to one another, God's not finished here. Our duty is to say we've got a responsibility for our city. Our duty is to cheer one another on. Final thing. To be a Christian, someone wrote this, Jamie Smith. It doesn't matter who he is, I know who he is. To be a Christian is to be a person who engages with society but does so without fear. Fear drives us to panic and no one makes good decisions when they're panicked. We overestimate some threats and we ignore others. We can't see clearly and we're prone to being manipulated by those who would stir up our panic. We ought not to be a panicked people. Why? Because our king has told us over and over again, do not be afraid. You've already heard good news that brings great joy. The king is alive and seated on his throne and he reigns. And not only that, he is interceding for us at the right hand of his father. Be not afraid. You can help me out now. Just say amen. amen. Thank you. Because that is worth saying amen to. We are a people who are able to say to one another, though the world shakes, and though our world might shake from time to time, the king is seated, waiting till all the enemies of God's good creation come to nothing. We will not put our hope in the things that we think will remain. We put our hope in the one who leads us into the future together. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.